0: good to be in the Lord's house Amen. you know it's good to see so many people that I just don't get to see anymore and uh, those who hear all the time is what a blessing to be back and just have a few days to sharing fellowship together uh, some that I'm not seen for a long time and one is woo I don't know how many of you know woo woo uh, most people in Roxburgh don't even know his name it's Uh, But most everybody knows about Woo-Woo. And after I was saved overseas and God called me to preach and I finally got out of the military, I'll never forget one day uh, when I was at home and I was on a, a Saturday and I saw Woo walking across the parking lot of A&P Grocery Store. And uh, he had liquid in him that shouldn't have been in him and um, I stopped and told him I said "Woo, if you don't get in the car you're going to spend the weekend in jail let me take you home I got out to his mama's house and I told him I said "Woo, I'm going to be preaching tomorrow and I want you to go with me he said I don't have time for things like that who knows I'm telling the truth I went home and I prayed for Wu. I asked God to do whatever needed to be done to get his attention. One month later, a Sunday night, I was getting ready to go preach. A young lady called. She said, there's someone that needs to talk to you at a certain house. I was running out of time as far as going to church, but I felt like I needed to go see whoever it was. didn't have any idea. When I got there, Wu came out of the house. He was shaking like a leaf in a windstorm. He got in the car. He said, I've been to Butner. It was either five or seven times. He said, I'm detoxicated before I get home. We cross the railroad tracks. I will never forget it as long as I live, the look in his eye. I told him, I said, Woo, I can't help you. But I know somebody who can he looked at me with hope. Who is it? And I told him. That night, Woo asked Jesus in his heart, "I saw two men make a bet. He wouldn't last a week. Woo, that's been a long time, ain't it, buddy? Forty-eight years." <laughs> Here's something that many of you knew my brother, Arch. That night I got woo. I told him, I said, Woo, you said you mean business. You've asked Jesus in your heart. Now you need to make it public. You need to go for people. Jesus said, If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. He went with me to Somerset. He he stood it to the invitation. He had on gray pants and a T-shirt and all of a sudden he jumped up and started at the church when he went by my brother arch he had been reading about the sheep that was missing one sheep and he said that Wu looked like a sheep when he went by him (laughs) he really did he got up and went out after him and Wu said I can't go down there with no shirt on and arch started taking his shirt off and a lady thought they were getting ready to fight (laughs) He was just giving him his shirt. Wu made it public. I saw him get baptized. That's the grace of God in action, buddy. Amen. And do you know there are people in heaven tonight because they saw the change in his life? Amen. They sure I can understand your name, sir? They saw what Jesus... I had, th- I had two people specifically that asked me. One was at Kidney Hill Grocery. And uh, one a man saw me going into a, a home to visit. He yelled. He said, when you get done, if you got time, come over and talk to me. I saw both of them come to know Christ because of what God did in this man's life. Amen. That's the testimony, isn't it? Amen. Well, it's good to see you, man. hadn't seen you in a long time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for so many. Precious memories. Thank you for these dear people. What they've been in my life. For family and friends. For this dear pastor. Thank you for him, his family. For what they stand for. For the work they've done all these years. Thank you for the privilege it's been to travel to so many places to share the gospel and to see people like Wu come to know you. May we tonight sense your presence in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you tonight from a passage that I think this is one of the greatest stories in the Word of God. It It really shows grace. What God did and woo and so many of you, so many of you could give you testimony tonight. I've seen people here turn right into lives, of people sitting in this side of this church tonight. Uh, some people read the miracles in the Bible and they say, well, I don't know if that happened or not. I don't know if Jesus turned the water into wine. I've seen Jesus turn liquor into bread right here in this church. <laughs> I've seen him heal lives and broken homes right here. I tell the people at Living Word all the time, I don't care who comes. I don't care what they look like, smell like, dress like, or whatever they've done. I want them to feel welcome at Living Word. And I believe that's true. People of all colors and nationalities, I don't care who you are, you need Jesus. Amen. There are no exceptions to that. Nobody's off the hook. We all need Jesus. And we need the grace of God to get to know Him. So turn with me to Second Samuel Chapter 9. Again, I was just kind of barking up the wrong tree. When I came down here this week, I I wasn't planning to preach on this. And again, this morning, God changed my heart. I I thought, Lord, you know, you, you try to prepare, and then he said, nope, that's not it. And you know it. You know it. It's almost like it just the air goes out of a balloon, and you have to listen to him. So look at 2 Samuel 9. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now I want you to see that statement. That's the key to this passage, for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king called unto him, Art thou Ziba, and he said, "Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his seat. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amuel, in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amuel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come in unto David, He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered and said, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul thy father, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that... You would look upon such a dead dog as I am. and that is something? How he looked at himself. Then the king called to Ziba and Saul's servant and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertains to Saul and to all his house. There therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and you shall bring in the fruits that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table." Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, Behold, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. So as for Mephibosheth, saith the king, he shall eat at my table, listen, as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Isn't that something? Now listen to this. This is kind of what happened years before. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old. Listen to this, five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled and it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame and his name was Mephibosheth the grace of God some people have the idea that the only time you need grace is when you get saved you do need grace to get saved and that's all you need but you need grace to live the Christian life Have you ever been blessed by somebody preaching the Word of God? If that's ever happened in your life, let me tell you what made that happen, the grace of God. The Word of God says in the book of uh, Colossians that we sing by grace. Some Christians have lost their song. Some might be here tonight, you've lost the song. You remember what it was like, but you've lost it. You've lost that closeness to the Lord that you used to enjoy. The Bible says that we stand by the grace of God, Romans 5. The only way we can stand in this world for Christ and live the life that God wants us to, it's not by human strength, it's by the grace of God. Amen. There is no other way. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that we serve God acceptably by grace. It's all by grace, folks. For by grace are we saved, for by grace are we, do we serve, for by grace do we speak, for by grace do we sing. It's all by grace. The grace of God. Uh, I heard about a guy who went to an employment agent to get him a job and they called him. They said, we think we found you a job. We have one question. He said, what is it? They said, can you pick lemons? He said, boy can. I've been married five times.
1: <laughs>
0: now the fact is he was a lemon and we are too. I've seen Baptists that could strut sitting down. <laughs> I have. But you know what hinders revival, the spirit of revival, from really gripping our hearts individually as well as the church? It's the spirit of pride. Amen. There is no graceful way to get off your high horse. You just have to get off. Amen. We are sinners, and if we are saved, we're saved by the grace of God with no help of ourselves. Amen. We cast ourselves spiritually bankrupt upon the grace of God and ask Jesus to receive us because of what He's done on the cross and nothing else. Amen. And so I pray tonight, if you're here without God's grace, that you've not trusted in His grace, that you'll do it. Um, many years ago, when Bear Bryant was the football coach of Alabama, one... one uh, Saturday he was playing Auburn. And some of you may even remember this game. Uh, The great legendary uh, Bear Bryant was probably one of the greatest college coaches that ever was, and he has the record to prove it. Uh, On that particular Saturday, uh, it was less than a minute left on the clock. They were beating Auburn by, I think it was three points. Alabama had the ball on Auburn's 20-yard line. Bear Bryant called timeout. His first-string quarterback was hurt. He was not playing that day. So Bear Bryant had his second-string quarterback in, and he called that kid off the field, and he said, Now, listen, he said, All we want to do is burn up that clock, run the ball four times. Don't you dare throw it. They went back out there. They played through three plays. On the fourth play, that quarterback, Instead of handing off, he saw his tight end open and he threw that ball. A man on Auburn's team read the play, and he caught it and was going down the field, and they would beat Alabama. The quarterback chased him down and tackled him. Paul Rye, Pat Rye was the was the coach for Auburn at that time, after the game, he was talking with Bear Bryant. He said, Bear, he said, I don't understand it. He said, I've read all the scouting reports, and our man that made that interception is the fastest man on the field today. Fastest man, my team or your team, he's faster than anybody. And your quarterback was kind of slow. How did he make that tackle? Bear Bryant said it's quite simple. Your man was running for a touchdown. My man was running for his life. (laughs) We sometimes think coming to church and hearing the gospel is really just something you do if you don't have anything else to do. We're running for our life, folks. This is for the goods. We are one heartbeat from eternity. And without Jesus Christ, there is no hope, no matter who they are. Amen. Religions is not equal to Christianity. Christianity stands alone. Jesus Christ is not on the same shelf with all the others that apply for the job. He's unique. He's the Son of God. And the Bible says only through Him can we know life. Amen. And so if you don't know Him tonight, Woo, like Woo was. Wu thought for years he was having a good time and he was destroying himself. Thank God he came to that place in his life when God just broke him and yet spoke to his heart and gave him a brand new life. Isn't that something? What a beautiful thing that is. I've seen that so much over the years, and I never cease to be thrilled by that very thing. Wherever I go to see people when they listen. One one Methodist preacher said that he went to church and went to church and went to church and went to church and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel. He said it one night... I heard the gospel. There's a difference. You may have been in the church since you were a baby, but you haven't heard it until God speaks to your heart. And may tonight be that time when you'll come and and hear him. You know, all through the Bible, it's amazing how many times Jesus Christ talks about, take heed how you hear. He tells people, listen, take heed, listen, hear what I speak. You get older, you can't have hear. You have that wrong? My wife says I have selective hearing. <laughs> she says I hear when I want to hear, and I don't hear when I don't want to hear. Sometimes I just don't hear. I heard about a couple was traveling from uh, Memphis to, uh, from Nashville to Memphis, and uh, she couldn't hear good. And uh, he couldn't see too good, so she drove, he did the talking. And they stopped at a service station, so those days, the guy would come out and pump the gas and He's pumping the gas, and so this guy got out of the car to stretch a little bit, and the man pumping the gas, he said, uh, where are you from? He said, Nashville. She said, what did he say? <laughs> he leaned over and said, he wants to know where he's from. I said, Nashville. The guy said, where are you going? He said, Memphis. She said, what did he say? <laughs> he said, he wants to know where we're going. The guy pumping the gas, he said, you know, he said, The meanest and ugliest woman I ever met in my life came from Memphis. She said, What did he say? He said, He knows your sister.
1: <laughs>
0: now, listen. I want you to listen tonight, just for a few minutes. You know I quit when it gets 830. I'm quitting. I'd go and go to bed. <laughs> but I want you to listen. As the Spirit of God, listen to God's Spirit to speak to you. The Word of God says, Mephibosheth was in the condition he was in because of a fall." Jonathan was a great dear friend to David. They were tight. Saul was the king. Saul got hard-headed like a lot of Baptists, and he wouldn't listen to God. He thought he could live like he pleased, and God couldn't do anything about it. Brother, I want to tell you, God controls the air. We're breathing his air, and he can cut it off when he gets ready. And Saul just continued to rebel against God, and God made a decision in heaven... And the Scripture says that God decided to demote Saul, take him out of the king, and put David in. Well, the Bible says after that decision was made, Saul was out on the battlefield, and the Word of God says he was mortally, fatally wounded. And the Scripture says that on the same day, Jonathan was also killed. That was Saul's son. When news came to what we would call the babysitter, the nurse... The Bible says she took up Mephibosheth who was Jonathan's son and run for their life many years goes by Mephibosheth has been kind of living down in what we would call the ghetto all those years he's living down there as a pauper as a forgotten man and one day after all of these years passed God didn't put David on the throne right after he anointed him after he called him oh no David had a lot of things to go through and learn before he could be the leader that God wanted him to be. God has a plan for your life. But until we get to the place where we can learn to depend upon God and realize we can't do it ourselves, God will take us through whatever we need to go through. And you see, there was a lot of years that passed by, and one day David became king. The Bible says in the book of Acts that David was a man after God's heart. He loved Jesus. He loved the promise of the coming Messiah, And he loved God in his heart. And David wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And there came a point of time when David was the most powerful man on the planet militarily. He was a man that was feared. He was a man that had power, control, and money. And one day the scene is that's given here. David was in his office and he began to think back about people that were special to him and people that had been a friend to him. And I do that a lot. I think about you guys. There are many times, I, there are individuals in this church, in this room tonight, many that I think about many different ways you've been so kind and nice over the years, been a good friend. And I thank God for that. And I believe in the in the in the mind of God, he knows who who did what. He knows who in the privacy of their life did something that was good and beneficial to someone else, and one day God keeping the books, he'll reward accordingly. David began to look back over his life. He called in what we would call the CIA and the FBI, and he said, I want to know, is there any that's left of the house of Saul and Jonathan? He called in a guy named Ziba. The Word of God said David asked him the question. He said, is there any left of this house? And Ziba said, listen to what he said. Ziba said, well, yes, uh, Jonathan has a boy. This is what he said now. But he's lame on his feet. You know what he was thinking? He thought if I tell the king he's a cripple, the king will say, well, let's just forget it. But he didn't know the heart of the king. And the word of God says when he told him he was a cripple, it didn't make any difference. And David said, go get him. You see, folks, you may not believe it, but I'm going to tell you this the truth. You and I are crippled up spiritually. Amen. We're absolute. The Bible says that, listen, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not most of us, all of us. Right. We're all sinners. There is nothing in us that deserves the mercy and the grace of God. But the Bible says God loves sinners. I love that phrase in the book of Hosea chapter 14 when it says that God loves us freely no one points a gun at God's head and says you got to love us no he just does it because that's his heart and the word of God said that listen now David the king initiated the search he's the one that started the search have you ever heard somebody use the terminology well I found God no brother you didn't find him he found you (laughs) you see none of us are looking for him And until God speaks to your heart, you won't even care about Him. You won't have anything to do with God. And the Bible says that David initiated the search. That's something that we must be ever sensitive to. As you come to the house of God and the the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit shoots it like an arrow into the mind and hearts of people. And when God does that, He's giving you and I a chance to respond to Him by faith. And the Bible said that David initiated the search. John, uh, Mephibosheth was a man that was living in fear. You know how I know that? The first thing David said to him was, Fear not. Can you imagine from five years of age? Just think about this. My dad died when I was a 13 year old lad. There have been many times over these years I would have given almost anything to sit down and say, Pop, what would you do? What would you do? For five years, from five years old, this man Had nobody to lead him. Granddad was killed. Dad was killed. His home was shattered. Here he is running for his life. He falls. He's crippled up. Medical science of that day didn't know how to help him. All of these years he's living as a cripple down in the ghetto. He was a forgotten man. He once lived in what we would call the White House. He lived in the halls of power. But now he's a nothing. He lives in fear. He has no dad to take him by the hand and take him to church and... Teach them about the things of God. He has no man in his life. And let me tell you something. You know what's the biggest problem in the American home today? Dad's missing. Let me tell you something. If God gives you a family, don't miss the chance to be a part of their life. Don't let what you call success take up all your time, and you don't invest it in those precious kids. At, at its best, it's hard. There's no one that raises a perfect family. Not one. Not one. I've always found out a mystery in the Word of God. The Bible says that Hezekiah was one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. He had. I heard Dr. Billy Graham say years ago that of all the wicked people that ever lived, in his opinion, uh, Manasseh was the most wicked man in all of history. Brother, that's covered a lot of ground. You throw in the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Mussolini's and the Mao tongues, and you throw in all of these together and Manasseh... Is the most wicked. Who was his daddy? Hezekiah. It doesn't fit, does it? How does the most godly man have with the most wicked son? God gives everybody a choice. We can teach, we can preach, we can do our best to do what God wants us to do, but it comes down to a point that every individual, whoever you are, if you're at the age of accountability, God will speak to your heart, and you've got to make that decision. Nobody can't make it for you. God doesn't have grandchildren, folks. It's only children. And every individual must make that choice. We must decide, am I going to live by the counsels of God, or am I going to live for the Lord? And the Bible said that Mephibosheth all those years was living in the wreckage of a has-been life. He was scared to death. Time magazine says that every time there's a crisis in America, the sale of liquor goes up. Every time. We have learned to trust in liquor, not the Lord. pills, and not prayer. We've learned to put our faith in man instead of God. And God deliver us. God have mercy upon us tonight and rain upon us the spirit of revival. Amen. That his church might live again. That people might be what God wants them to be. Amen. And the Word of God says that as David initiated this search, there came a day when... Mephibosheth was brought to his office. Can you imagine living how this man had lived all those years? Can you imagine him down in the gutters of life and there's a knock at the door? Who is it? It's the king's soldiers. What? I've not done anything wrong. What do you want? The king wants to see you. You're kidding. What does the king want to see with a cripple? What does the king want to see with a drunkard? What does the king want to see with a prostitute? I've seen these kind of people down through these years come to know Christ and see the change that God made in their life. Jesus Christ can change anybody. Isn't that good? There are no exceptions to that. He can change anybody. Thank you, you, Jesus. He can do that. But well, I want you to notice something. The Word of God says that David called him to his office and he asked the question, uh, why do you have anything to do with such a dead dog as I am? Good, that's he realized he was a sinner. He realized that he needed help. And the Word of God says, and listen to this so closely again, it says it twice in the passage, I will show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Let me ask you something. Have you ever prayed a prayer for about anything in your life and you said something like this in the prayer, I ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake? You know what you're doing? You're acknowledging, God, I don't deserve this prayer answered because of me. We don't. But we have the invitation from God to come boldly to the throne of grace who might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's an invitation from God Himself. Not because we deserve it, but because we are sinners and for His sake. If Jesus Christ had not died on the cross, there would be no time of prayer. If He had not died on the cross, there would be no heaven. If He had not died on the cross, there would be no woo-woos that get saved. There would be no one that could go to heaven because we are totally unqualified but the bible said for jonathan's sake david told him he said Mephibosheth, i want you to know your dad and i were tight and we we were great friends and we made a promise of vow. And you can read it in the scriptures they made a prayer to each other that whoever became king jonathan thought he was going to be the king for a while but then he recognized that god's hand was on david God made his choice and Jonathan didn't fight against it. He yielded to that. And he said to David, whoever becomes king, bless the other one's family. All of these years goes by. David is now the powerful man. Selfless love initiates the search. I was in a, a seminar years ago. Cliff Bears. You remember the guy who used to lead the singing of Billy Graham. He shared something that night I have never forgot all my life. He said that when he was traveling all the time with Billy Graham, that time he was a young man. Uh, Cliff's kids are grown. And in fact, one of his, his boy uh, pastors in South Carolina. But um, when they were young, uh, I, at the best I remember at that time, they were something like five and six or six and seven. They were just young kids. And... Um, I don't know what, I don't remember what it was, but those kids kept doing something, and Cliff and his wife Billy, his wife's name was Billy. That's what they called anyway. And and they kept telling those kids, stop doing that. You know, when you become a parent, you have to say the same thing about 10,000 times. And you sometimes wonder if there's a blockage between the ears of the kids you've got. You have to keep telling them over and over and over. And Cliff said he told those kids, stop doing that. And one day Cliff had to leave for two weeks in a crusade, and he got those kids together and he said, Listen, guys, I've got to be gone for two weeks. He says, Now, you stop doing what Norman and I have told you. He says, And if you don't, when I get home, I'm going to spank you. He left, came home. Billy met him at the door. They kissed, and she said they did it. If you have kids, they can melt you. you. You stay away a few days. I've experienced that so much traveling. And you get home, and you just look down in those little eyes, and you just you just want to hug them and kiss them. Cliff I took them back in the back room, in the bedroom. He said, you remember what I told you? They remembered. He could see they were... They were sorry, but they were guilty. He said, do you remember what I said I was going to do? You're going to whip us. He said he didn't have the heart to do it, but he didn't want to lie to him. And God, Cliff said he, he prayed a prayer, and God gave him an answer. He said that he took his shirt off, took his belt off, And he said, Now, guys, somebody's got to get a whipping here tonight. He said, So I'm going to take your whipping for you. He knelt down by that bed, gave that belt to those two kids, and he made both of them hit him on the back uh, five times. And Cliff said that every time that belt hit his back, they cried harder. It wasn't because they were being hurt. They saw how much their dad loved them, that he took a punishment for them. That's what Jesus did for us. Amen. We were guilty. We were the ones who should take the whipping. We were the ones that should be nailed to a cross like an animal. But our Lord is the Son of God, came to this earth, went to the bloody slopes of Calvary, and gave His life because He loves you. Cliff said that he used that very thing in those kids' lives, just a year or two later, and led him to Jesus. He took the whipping that we deserved. That's selfless love. And I know our time's about up, but don't you just see something? Number one, Mephibosheth immediately became a wealthy man. He became very prosperous. The Bible says that David said, I'm going to give you all the real estate of your daddy, your granddaddy, King Saul. Brother, that's a lot of real estate. And David had the power to do what he said he would do. And because of Jonathan and for his sake, David gave Mephibosheth the cripple all of this riches to live on. This world has sold us a bill of goods. They have told us that if we do this, this, and this, and have this, this, and this, we're going to be happy. And people are drowning in misery only way that a human heart can be content is through Jesus Christ. That's where the answer is. And the Bible says that he became a very prosperous man. He also became a very protected man. He said, you will eat at my table on a daily basis, Mephibosheth. You see, here was a kid that had been running for his life all these years. Here was a kid that lived down in the ghetto as a cripple, afraid that one day the enemy was going to find out where he was and come and get him. And David now tells him, you don't have to worry no more about that because I'm the most powerful man on the planet and nobody's going to bother you. Years ago, I preached at Montwood Baptist Church on Sunday morning. That night I had a revival that was about an hour's drive away. I went to the meeting. I was about midnight getting home. And when I finally got to the house, I had a note. No matter what time you come in, call this number. I called it, a guy that some of you would know, and I'm not going to call his name. He told me, he said, would you come to my house right now, someone needs to talk to you. I was tired, but I got in the car, I drove across town to where this guy lived. There was a lady sitting there on the, on the sofa with uh, this man's wife. I didn't know her, had never met her in my life. And uh, that morning, she was going through a real difficult time in her life. Uh, Things were quite bad. And she was just out, left the house, had been driving really, I think, most of the night. And she decided, for whatever reason, I'm going to go to church. She stopped at Montwood Baptist Church, of all the places. I was preaching. God got a hold of her heart. That night, sitting in that house, she on that sofa, as I began to talk to her about Jesus Christ, she gave her heart to Jesus you know what amazes me about it? Her husband was a state trooper. He was a good man. He wore a badge. He carried a pistol. He represented law and order. But he couldn't give his own wife the peace that she needed. And neither can you and I. It's a peace that comes from God. Amen. That's a peace. When God speaks to the heart and God spoke to Mephibosheth that day and he said, Mephibosheth, you don't have to worry no more, buddy. You're safe. You're at home. But the Bible says he also became a man of power. David said to Ziba, you and your kids and servants will tend all the land and bring the money to him. Word of God says in verse 10, he had 15 kids and 20 servants. That's a pretty good work for us. And he told them, you will tend to the crop because Mephibosheth is a cripple and he can't do it. And when you get saved, God gives you new desires. He gives you the power to live a life that you used to hate. He gives you a love for the things of God. And if you don't have that, you'd better do some checking up tonight. Amen. And then the Bible says that David told him,